Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, to teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Did we get hammered today? Did we get hammered? Because investors are finally starting to realize that the coronavirus is a very destructive force for economies. Dow plunged 228 points. S&P plummeted 1.05%. NASDAQ nosedived 1.79%. As profit takers came out in force, especially in big tech, recognizing the Chinese economy is going to go maybe offline. And going offline can't be good news for the United States. The yield on 30-year treasury, well, it fell to record lows. That worries me. Yes, that's got to be a danger signal. And not just a windfall for home buyers, right? All the action today seems to tell us that the bad news out of China is finally translating into bad news. It's almost a total delayed reaction. You know, it should have been a week ago. Because our economy remains deeply intertwined with theirs. So many of our companies rely on Chinese suppliers for everything from trim, like in clothing, to buttons, central medications, telco components, all sorts of technologies. We're really much more intertwined than people realize. I think we're right to be worried. I think we're right to respect this blow-off that started yesterday and truly accelerated into the bell today. It was a terrible day. China's currently conducting the largest quarantine in human history to prevent this virus from spreading. You better believe that has an impact on commerce. These containment measures were only ever meant to be temporary, hopefully getting us to April when the weather heats up And flu season traditionally ends. It's only people a delaying reaction. As we're seeing now with the outbreak spreading beyond China, the Korean numbers, frankly, took my breath away. With that coronavirus prison top of mind, and it must stay top of mind until some antivirals are discovered that can knock it out, I remain hopeful. What is the game plan for next week? Well, first, before we get into it, as you can see... All week, this is what we're going to be focused on. We do a nightly program here, too. It's really important. It was key to the reversal today. It's why the blow-off occurred. 
On Monday, we hear from HP, which is currently trying to fend off Xerox's attempt to get the two companies to merge. HP wants to remain independent, and a strong earnings report and a a concomitant rally will help them do that if they can pull it off. After the close, Palo Alto Network's PNW reports. Last time, the cybersecurity kingpin delivered a terrific quarter, and the stock rallied accordingly. This time, it could be a little tougher. So far, we've gotten results from two cybersecurity plays, CyberArk and Zscaler, both disappointed. I believe Palo Alto has become a better one-stop shop than either of those two, thanks to a series of acquisitions. I love the conviction level of CEO Nikesh Arora last time he came on the show. If you want to know more about cybersecurity, of course, you want to hear Gary Steele from Proofpoint later in this show. Tuesday morning, we hear from two different retailers, wildly different, Home Depot and Macy's. The stock of Home Depot has exhibited what I consider to be a disturbing pattern here. It runs into the quarter with investors betting on a fabulous number. Then when we don't get one, it gives up the ghost. Home Depot's almost always come in too hot. It is doing the exact same thing this time, which is why I think it's too late to buy ahead of the quarter. Macy's is the opposite. Stock trades as if the possibility of a comeback is nil, and the chain's merely a shadow of its former self. Their bonds were just downgraded to junk, and the company's frantically trying to close stores that have been a burden. That list of troubled locations never seems to grow any shorter, does it? Macy's needs to show something good, some growth, or I predict more debt downgrades and a stock that can't even hold the 15 level. After the close, we get results from Salesforce. Now, this is a stock that is finally reflecting the underlying company's incredible growth prospects after a period of hesitation and concern that it's just doing its growth by acquisition. Now, we own Salesforce from my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, and we just actually trimmed some. We had a huge gain. Bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs, hogs get slaughtered. When you have interest rates this low, there are some real winners, and one of them is Toll Brothers. Yes, the high-end home builder. I expect Toll to report an excellent quarter, 30-year, all-time lows. Well, what else? Here's one we've been watching closely. It's the heavily shorted Real Real. This is an online consignment store. This company's taken a lot of criticism for supposedly slipshod execution, including a brutal piece from this network. Stock sure acts horribly. I don't know, Oliver Chen over at Cowan likes it very much. We'll see. Also on Tuesday, a stock that I think mocked all fundamental research in its rally this week, Virgin Galactic reports. This is the poster child for the kind of ultra-speculative stocks that have exploded higher of, uh, 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 late, although it totally cooled off today. Uh, Virgin Galactic is a space tourism company. Maybe they'll tell us that they're ahead of schedule, but I'm skeptical, and I think it's justifiably losing altitude. At the end of every big move in my life, we've had stocks like this that go from 9 to 38. Everyone is looking similar. Wednesday, we find out how one of the most impressive turnarounds in the business, in business entirely, is going. When CEO Marvin Ellison, whom I think the world of, tells us what's going on with Home Depot competitor Lowe's. I expect good things from Marvin when he describes the turn, although he always stresses that it's in its infancy. Then there's TJX, which is exactly the kind of off-price retailer that can work here. I'm betting on a strong quarter from the parent of TJ Maxx and Marshalls. Particularly because you keep seeing outfits like Pier 1, you know, these companies go out of business or, or go bankrupt. Well, that's good for TJX. After the close, there's a real quandary. Marriott International. This hotel company, which is so good, has a huge business in China. A lot of it bought when it, made, when it acquired Starwood. 
I'm wondering if the rest of the world's strong enough to offset what is some obvious Chinese weakness. We're going to find out. Etsy reports due to the last quarter simply wasn't special enough to send the stock higher. That said, this is Etsy's era, and the online handicrafts marketplace from Brooklyn could put up some good numbers. I'd go with them, not against them. Then there's Square. And today's weakness aside, this thing's been on fire. The payment space is red hot. Square's technology is at the heart of it. You know we just started liking again after a long period where we decided, no thank you. Thursday's jam-packed with tons of companies reporting. Uh, first, you got Best Buy. Now, I mean, when will people stop dissing this chain? Best Buy's figured out how to sell electronics better than anyone else in the world. Most customers need help with technology, and they've got the best help. And as a Bush... Well, I'm going to tell you, that's Anheuser Bush InBev now, Bud reports. Now, they came up with this thing called Bud Light Seltzer. That's a 5% solution to the next big drink craze, and it's really taken off. But will it be large enough to matter to the company? Uh, or will Bud's core business be so weak that Spike Seltzer can't say that? Anything? We're going to find out. I think it's too small to move the needle, unlike Boston Brew. Uh, now, I like the combination of Keurig. Dr. Pepper, very much. I got a new Keurig for my birthday that makes a pot of coffee to the left and a single shot to the right. I love both. Meanwhile, is there anything better than a diet Dr. Pepper on a Friday afternoon? I may be a diet Mountain Dew. Uh, And I know that that's a controversial statement. I expect a good quarter from Keurig Dr. Pepper. Uh, After the close, we hear from Dell, which has been a real seesaw. I'm a believer but it's been a tough slog. We need a good quarter from Dell to break out of this range. Dell subsidiary VMware, they report too. Now, we're talking about a cloud king, so therefore I expect good numbers. There are plenty of people who don't like my new stance that you can't make money in oil long-term anymore. Still, we hear from, now remember, just, you know, I'm talking about the stocks. Still, we hear from the two, of, I'd say, with exception of Pioneer, the most intriguing ones out there, Occidental, O-X-Y, and EOG. They've made heavy investments in Texas, but now Wall Street wants investment to be curtailed and profits returned to shareholders. Let's see if these two understand the tenor of the times. Finally, on Thursday night, we hear from two companies that have delivered endlessly, followed on Friday by two companies that have fared poorly. The good workday in the trade desk, a cloud king and a cord cutting play. The bad Wayfair with its Valentine's Day massacre of layoffs and Foot Locker with its relentlessly falling stock. I'm betting the future looks a lot like the recent past. Here's the bottom line. The most important thing you need to know about next week is that the coronavirus will color everything. If the situation remains as fluid, or they they use the two words fluid and dynamic, if it remains fluid or if it remains dynamic, get ready for February to end with a nasty whimper and a bear full of bang. Abdullah in Virginia. Abdullah. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Abdul? Good, good. Awesome. Uh, what's your thought on uh, Dropbox? They had their earnings yesterday. Dropbox uh, had a very good quarter. And, and what Dropbox did was, frankly, uh, confound the people who thought that Microsoft was going to knock it out. Uh, that was also the view that people thought that Microsoft was knocking out Proofpoint. I think the world of Saudi and Nadella, but he's not in the business of knocking out everybody. And I congratulate the people who stayed long Dropbox because it's been a real tough, tough run. Okay, here we go. Despite a crowded slate of earnings next week, I want you to make understand it's the coronavirus. Those developments will continue to be the market's top focus. So, man, money tonight. The basic building blocks of U.S. healthcare are now under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. I'll explain what that means for you and your money and your health. Then, 
time to get social. When it comes to Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Snapchat, who still comes out on top? What's the reshuffling here? I'm talking the next frontier in cybersecurity with the CEO of Proofform. So stay with the monetizable Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features, like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. What do we do now that the coronavirus outbreaks playing out just as those medical experts said it would someday? I think you should be worried. Worried because if the experts are right, well, we still got a lot to be afraid of. I want you to go back to the words of, of Dr. Tony Fauci. He's perhaps the best epidemiologist in the whole world. He said this virus would keep spreading in China. He said it would sweep through the developing world rapidly because most of those countries don't have comprehensive public health care systems. As for the U.S., Fauci predicted in a clipped but authoritative way that the virus will spread more slowly here, giving us a better chance of nursing its victims back to health, maybe even over time finding an antiviral. Sadly, all this is now happening, and none of it is bullish. By the way, it's what crushed the markets today. To some extent, though, it should be expected. Yet Wall Street keeps thinking this outbreak has to have an end game, even though Fauci's certainly not saying that it will end, even in April. What are the consequences of not listening to the experts? Simple. You end up getting blindsided. Just like when the markets rolled over this week. Look, I keep telling you that we need to wait for the other shoe to drop with this epidemic. And the shoes keep falling. We keep raising and raising cash for my charitable trust at ActionLearnsPlus.com Club because I don't know. I mean, I'm confident that there are more shoes waiting in the wings because so many officials are terrified. If you notice, they're terrified of revealing bad news about the virus, especially in China. 
That means we can't really get our arms around the implications of the outbreak. We don't have the data. You want an example? All right, let me introduce you to Rosemary Gibson from the Hastings Center. It's a nonpartisan bioethics research institute. She's the author of China Rx, Exposing the Risk of America's Dependence on China for Medication. Well, doesn't that title say it all? Now, I only know Gibson because she started tweeting me. But her book, published in 2018, was eerily prescient. She explains that a huge number of the medicines we rely on for all sorts of illnesses now come just from China. And even when they're made elsewhere, like people say, well, wait a second, they're in India, they're in Canada. Wait, uh-uh. The chemical components are often sourced from China. She's plenty worried. She's got me worried, too. So what happens to the pharmaceutical industry when the largest quarantine in human history grinds the Chinese economy to a halt? Shortages, that's what. People can't get their medicines. Prices skyrocket. This issue is so important that I actually brought it up this morning. My old friend Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, when we interviewed him on TV on Squawk on the Street, I told him he had to go, to the te- go tell the president. And Larry said he would do it right after we spoke to him. Who's thinking about what might happen if we run out of pills? Now, I think that's more than likely, given that we outsource more than 80% of our medications to China, either directly or for critical ingredients. Who's ready for pill rationing? Have the big drug distributors taken precautions? I really hope so. I hope should not be part of the equation. Either way, the pill shortage will likely be front and center in maybe two to three weeks. That's when we'll run out of inventory. It's already happening now with some drugs. Some drugs I take. They don't have them. I mention this because you have to approach this market with a degree of caution. Every day there's a real possibility that we'll get some new revelation about the outbreak. I'm just picking on the pharmaceutical because it's so obvious to me. Things that we should have predicted because our economy is totally intertwined with China's. We are one and we shouldn't be. Did you ever imagine that 80% of our drugs could originate in the People's Republic? In one way or another, they do. I know our government was lax about this stuff, but even I'm surprised we let it get this far. While this has happened over the course of decades, I'm stunned that nobody's done anything to fix it. I mean, what if the Chinese had decided to shut down our pill supplies during the trade war? We thought a bullet there. When I talk about the other shoe dropping, I mean stories like this potential drug shortage. While it hasn't dawned on people yet, I'm betting it'll be part of this discourse by this time next week. People will be outraged. Maybe they'll blame China. I blame the U.S. How the heck could we have let this happen? The answer, we knew. We just never imagined the Chinese supply chain would get cut like this. Or maybe we imagined it, but the risk seems so low that the pharma companies and the drug distributors decided it was easier not to do anything about it because they make it so cheaply. That was wrong. And it will only get worse as we realize just how dependent we are on China for all sorts of vital parts for many different things that could be hidden deep in many supply chains. Long story short, as long as the coronavirus keeps raging in the PRC, you have to be prepared for the next shoes to drop. Eventually, we will run out of footwear. But eventually, it could take a very long time. Fred in Ohio, Fred. Yeah, I'm Jim. I bought uh, CVS a few quarters ago and have done okay, but it seems like it's been stuck in the mud or caught a virus. Um, it hasn't moved. It's more of a kind of a healthcare pharmacy combination with UNH being like around 300 and it only being 71. Seems like there's a, uh, and the healthcare part of it is making money. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, it's the Aetna. They bought Aetna. We think it should sell at 12 times earnings, which pays it for 96. I say we, because the club owns it, Charitable Trust, ActionAlertsPlus.com Club. We think it's very inexpensive. We bought the bulk of our stock, really bought a lot of stock when it was lower. Uh, and we're not giving up on it. We think it's a, a, a buy. Uh, and you just have to be patient because it did have a big move from 53 to 75. And then it's pulled back a little bit this week. Let's go to Rand in Missouri. Rand. 
Hi, Jim. I love your show. Your Thank wisdom, you. wit, and energy is fantastic. Thank you. It's not easy on Friday, but we always come to play. What's up? <laughs> your thoughts on Moderna, mRNA. They the are. I, I mean, the everybody, the stock did not hold the print price of its big uh, secondary offering. All right. I speak to people in that I'm obsessed by the coronavirus. And I speak to all the pharmaceutical companies, and they keep coming back to Moderna. That's who we had on. Today, though, it was all about Gilead. People kept saying that Gilead has got the antivirals, and that's going to prove all right. I, my people say that that may not be the case, but Moderna is the most likely to have a vaccine because they do all that great work that we talked about with Amazon Web Services. So Moderna is a likely way to bet on a uh, on a vaccine. And right now, Gilead, I cannot believe how it's like. Wow, Gilead's working. I hope Gilead does. I said it's a cheap stock. I told you about Gilead earlier this week. I said, buy Gilead up nicely today. I think it's likely we will soon see drug shortages in this country, and then we'll have surge pricing in the U.S. as we're too dependent, ridiculously so, on pharmaceutical ingredients made in China, and I am angry about this. It'll be just one of the many more shoes to drop in this epidemic because we are so dependent on the PRC. Much more made money. Last year, companies lost more than $1.7 billion because of email scams, basically small businesses that are set up to scam you. I'm si- even medium stuff. I'm sitting down with the CEO of a company trying to take a major bite out of cybercrime just ahead. Then we all deserve a victory lap, and I'm taking one tonight with Symantec. How did you do if you bought on my recommendation a few months ago? Spoiler alert, you did darn well. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. We've had a little time to process earnings season. I want to circle back to the turmoil in the social media space. Twitter and Pinterest reported terrific numbers. And solar stocks surged higher. Meanwhile, Facebook and Snap posted seemingly disappointing numbers. And their stocks got hammered. I think all four of these names are worth owning. Let me explain. Because social media has too much going for it to ignore them. And there are not that many social media companies out there. There's clearly been a shakeup in the group, and we need to update our power rankings. And you've asked for this, and we're going to give it to you. Our, after Facebook reported at the end of January, stock lost nearly 10% of its value over the next two days. Snap plummeted almost 15% in a single session. For a few days, it really looked like this whole industry was in real trouble. Then Twitter rocketed up 15% after we saw the results earlier this month, and then more than 9% the day after that. 
Well, they changed the narrative. House of pleasure. So what's separating the winners from the losers in social media? Why don't we just start with Facebook? After putting a series of strong numbers last year, the stock rallied hard at the beginning of 2020, surging to new highs. That ratcheted up expectations. So when Facebook delivered what I thought was a pretty good quarter, it wasn't quite good enough for Wall Street. The company posted the top and bottom line beat, same as usual. But the beat was smaller than what we'd gotten accustomed to seeing because Facebook had been such a juggernaut except for last yeah, July of 2018. Uh-oh. Their user metrics were merely in line. And the company told us they would be discontinuing those stats for Facebook, though not Instagram. Well, this kind of thing is typically viewed with great skepticism. Why not give us all the numbers if the numbers are good? It didn't help that Facebook's revenue guidance for the next quarter was less than stellar. Management plans to spend more money than Wall Street was expecting. So the real problem had little to do with the quarter and everything to do with the fact that Facebook stock had just kept moving up and moving up and moving up and was clearly priced for perfection going into the quarter. Anything less than perfection was going to spark a sell-off, and that's exactly what happened. Long term, I remain a believer in Facebook. It's a gigantic position for my charitable trust, which you can follow along at actionorsplus.com, which is part of the club. Albeit, we purchased the stock at much, much lower levels and have just owned it for a long time. How about this social media loser that did surprise me? And that's Snap. This company, the parent of Snapchat, came public in 2017. Very quickly became a total dud. We called that right. But over the course of last year, it looked like Snap had gotten its act together. They released a much improved version of the app for Android. And the users were coming back in droves, bringing the advertisers with them. And that's why I recommended Snap late last month, although I also told you not to put a full position on until after the quarter, just in case the stock got slammed. See, I had been concerned that Snap had caught too many upgrades going into earnings. Well, that raises the bar making it harder for any company to beat the expectations. Well, sure enough, Snap delivered a small revenue miss with modest earnings beat. Tiny. But what everyone fixates on is the guidance. Management said they'll be losing more money than expected this quarter because they're investing more heavily in the business. In response, the stock got completely eviscerated. It's still down three bucks from its high. That said, you know what? I'm telling you to buy it. I think you're getting a great discount from where it was, Someone the other day on Twitter and uh, asked me right here, what do you do with it? And I say, you can buy it. I do not think it is too late. All right. Now, you know what's funny? Two social media winners, Twitter and Pinterest, also told you they would be investing a lot more heavily in their businesses going forward. But ironically, instead of being punished, their stocks were rewarded. What's going on here? What sets them apart? Right, some of it is the expectations game I just mentioned. Twitter's stock plummeted after the company reported its previous quarter in October, and it hadn't fully bounced back by the time the next quarter rolled around earlier this month. By the way, I told you to buy this one into weakness. That was right. When Twitter reported again earlier this month, they knocked it out of the park with a juicy revenue beat and an acceleration of monetizable, 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 sorry. What is with me today? Monetizable. Monetizable. What am I doing? What, I, I'm, what is that? Okay, it's Friday. Monetizable. I mean, it's Friday. Then we'll take all this out when we do post-production. Okay? I'm, I'm talking to my executive producer. She knows it's all going to be gone. She's going to monetize me. Monetizable. What is it, like Matisse? Monetizable. I mean, honestly, okay, now we've completely lost our train of thought. Now, that's not what I wanted.
All right. Monetizable daily average user growth up 21 percent versus 17 percent in the previous period. We also want to see 147.6 million daily average users. They had 152 million. Now, that's a nice surprise. Twitter keeps improving its platform, making it more intuitive and limiting the visibility of potentially damaging content, which, you know, I love because I'm a heavy user of Twitter. That strategy is working. It also costs money, though, and the earnings came in weaker than expected. But Wall Street was willing to look past that. We saw the same thing in the guidance. They're forecasting fabulous sales numbers but weaker profits because they need to invest so heavily in the platform. Investors couldn't forgive this kind of thing from Facebook or Snap, yet they recalled it from Twitter and Ned Siegel, the CFO, whom we like so much. He went Not just because he went to Georgetown. That does factor in, though. I, I think it's because the expectations for Twitter were lower and also because the company's proven it can overcome adversity. Even if this quarter wasn't consistently better than expected, well, it was certainly Naboth, not as bad as feared. Remember Naboth? I like that. Pinterest has a similar story. Here's a company that came public last April. Its stock initially ramped to the mid-30s. Then it got pulverized. The last quarter in October was widely considered disappointing, and the stock ended up sinking to the high teens at its lows in December. That was painful because, you know, I liked it. After that, the stock started to bounce. So Pinterest had a bit of momentum coming into the earnings, though it was still well off its highs. That's important. Then the company delivers a truly blow quarter. Four cent earnings beat off an eight cent basis, substantially higher than expected sales, and Fabulous global monthly active user growth of 26% key metric and terrific average revenue per user. Also good metric. Even better, Pinterest gave us bullish guidance. They monetized. What's driving the strength? The company rolled out a new version of their app for Android. Isn't it funny? Because that's also what happened with Snap. Once you, it's like people always has, underestimate how important it is to have something for Android. They have faster download speeds. They're seeing more major growth in video. They launched an, a more ideas function that shows users digital vision boards that they might be interested in. Really, though, Pinterest is giving investors everything they want. Strong revenue growth with steadily rising profitability. No wonder the stock ignited after the quarter. Stock surged to 26 bucks two weeks ago. It has since cooled off back to 22. And I, you know what? I think it's kind of nuts that it went down that much, but we know what's happened in the market the last few days. Meanwhile, the two losers, Facebook and Snap, have already started rebounding, which makes a ton of sense to me. You know what works in a, in a world where people are afraid to go outside because of the coronavirus outbreak? Social media. If you can't interact with your friends in person, at least you can interact with them online and show pictures of their dogs. Now, incredibly, Facebook's the cheapest of the bunch, selling for less than 19 times next year's early estimates. 19. That's like some banks sell at that. And that's in part because the regulators have a target uh, on Facebook's back. Still, I think Facebook's the safest social media play if this market keeps getting hit. It's inexpensive. But the bottom line... You want to know the difference between the big winners and the big losers in social media this past earnings season? It turned out to be about Mrs. Haversham. It was about the expectations. As I see it, all four of these companies are doing well. None of them had perfect results, but Facebook and Snap had run going into the quarter, while Twitter and Pinterest had sold off ahead. So Facebook and Snap got pulverized, while Twitter and Pinterest caught fire. You get it? Right now, I like all four. Stay with Craig. All right, what's it going to take for some of these stalled-out cybersecurity stocks to get the groove back? 
Take Kramer Fave Proofpoint. That's a cloud-based purveyor of people-centric security software. For years, this thing was practically an automatic winner, marching from the teens to the high 130s at its highs last year. Lately, though, the action in Proofpoint, like many of these other cybersecurity stocks, has gotten choppy. Three times in the past 12 months, the stock has briefly reached the 130s, only in reverse and then fall. Each time, Proofpoint's been able to bounce back in short order, but that ceiling's starting to get a little frustrating for me. The most recent pullback came last month when Proofpoint reported a better than expected quarter that was unfortunately paired, well, that may be a jarred word, with what Wall Street analysts regarded as a tepid forecast for both the next quarter and the full year. Once again, the stock quickly rebounded for those levels, made up most of the losses, though it's been slipping again, including today, which is a really bad day for tech. So when will the stock resume its long march higher? Let's take a closer look with Gary Steele, the chairman and CEO of Proofpoint, get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Steele, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Gary. Good to see you. Gary, people often talk about small and medium-sized business being the backbone of our country. There seems to be some small and medium-sized businesses that have decided that cybersecurity is where they should be operating it. Well, I think cybersecurity is a big priority for every organization across the globe today. And And these companies, but they're companies that are doing it. Well, I th- the, the simple reality is that people are getting defrauded of millions and millions of dollars every day. The cyber criminals are winning. And so it creates demand for companies like us, which is a good thing. Now, how is it possible after all these years that people are still clicking on things that they shouldn't click on? Because the threat actors are getting that much smarter. Oh, okay. So there's all of these ways that attacks can be socially engineered. They can find out all about you and then tailor those attacks to ensure that you're going to click on something that you may be of interest to you. I okay. mean, the latest thing is coronavirus. Like, as oh, awful okay, as, tell me about that. What yeah, happens? No, coronavirus has become a lure, meaning you're going to get some email or some form of lure that makes you want to find out more about coronavirus. Okay, but the, okay, there's a subject heading, and then there's usually some silly name. They usually don't use good names. Are you talking about people who are more sophisticated than that? Yeah, more sophisticated. And really? so these are, these are sophisticated threat actors that are operating to go try to get someone to click on something, either click on a link or open some form of file. How many will they send a day in, in order to fish? You know, it really depends. A lot of the threat actors are very targeted. So they know exactly who they're after. They know who those individuals are. And the broad theme we've seen over the course of the last year is volumes are coming way down. So it's getting that much more sophisticated, that much more targeted. And as a result of that, you've got to have very sophisticated capabilities to protect you. All right. Now, but in a recent and really terrific uh, talk that... uh, that you guys gave at the Goldman conference. Mm-hmm. You know, this was just a really dynamite call uh, on February 11. You actually talk about how there are fewer and fewer people actually doing what you do, that you're in a business that the, a lot of people have dropped out. You know, the market has really changed over the course of the time since we've been in business. So we started in 2002. Um, I've been with the company since its founding. What we've seen is a lot of consolidation in this market. Right. And it's gotten much more difficult to be able to identify and, and detect these attacks. And frankly, it's given us a lot of room to continue to operate and grow. Well, what's interesting also is that there are a lot of people who feel that your enemies uh, have to be a company like Okta. But they're a partner. Uh, Cyborg. But they're a, a partner. partner. Uh, Palo Alto. But a they're partner. a partner. They all partner with you. Why can't they do what you do? Well, I think they've chosen to stay in the markets where they are. And security is made up of many discrete markets. We're in one of those. And we happen to be in a market where threat actors continue to operate heavily because they're targeting people. Okay, so we love Okta. That's a Kramer family thing. We love Okta, too. All right, so tell me what you do for Okta because we think Todd does a great job. Why does he need Gary? It's super complimentary. So what we've done simple integration where we can tell Okta who are 
VAPs or top targeted people are. And then within Okta, they can drive um, stuff authentication. So make it more challenging to that user to log on and get, get access. Okay, so why can't you teach people not to click on things? Well, we try, honestly. But they can't, they so can't one, help themselves? No, one of the things we, that we believe is you have to raise the awareness in the organization because people are being targeted at work, but they're also being targeted at home. Right. And so the more that we can raise the awareness of users, we think that is broader, broader posture, better defense. Are the Chinese still trying to get in? Yes. And I think that I think the reality is as we move into um, the latter part of election year, there's lots of geopolitical things going on. We're going to see more geopolitical players driving threat action against companies. Do you call the FBI? You know, we work closely with our customers and figure out what the right thing to do is. I mean, one of the things that that it just shocks me is, is that they a lot of the attacks actually begin still with email. You think that they, this is still the best but, way you know, to get but, into an organization? But it's really simple. Email drives the business process around the world. It's how companies interact every single day. And while, yes, email's been around forever, it is the one place that's predictable that if a threat, threat actor gets in, they can make a lot of money. And what's incredible when I read about your stuff, like, one of the things that you like is when Microsoft comes in, because then you come in on top of them. Yeah, and what's it's happening, actually, no, and what's happening with Microsoft is they're really driving this momentum to the cloud. And so the right. adoption of Office 365 has been an important catalyst for our growth, right. has been for a long time. And we think it, it, it sustains itself over the next five years. But doesn't Satya Nadella, whom we think the role of at Microsoft, doesn't he say, I'm tired of Gary, I'm going to own this business myself? You know, they clearly have a set of capabilities, but this is what we do for a living. Right. And what customers demand is the absolute best at protecting them. And that's where we come in. Am I looking at the man who might be able to save us from malicious actors during the election? We're going to work hard. Are they going to... You know you say in your stuff that people still get through. People do get through, but we're going to do our best. All right. I hope you stop every single one of them. I'm tired of it. All right? All right. This is the guy that's going to stop it. He's been stopping it all along. That's Gary Steele, Chairman CEO of Grouppoint. you you got to read this stuff. Everybody works with them. Everyone's kind of given up competing with them. Their money's back here for the break. It is time. It's time for the light milk and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Don't for the lightning round. Remember, let's start with Debbie in Nevada. Debbie. Mr. Kramer, yes. your thoughts on Creed? I have never, ever, ever been a fan of Creed. Uh, I've always felt that it was too episodic in this lighting, this lighting business. I'm going to have to say no to you. Let's go to Bradley in Delaware. Bradley. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. Uh, I was wondering uh, what your thoughts are for ACOM, ACM. Everyone, you know, I've liked this one, by the way, since it came public. And, you know, everyone keeps thinking it's going to be acquired. And when I hear that everybody says it's going to be acquired, it probably will be, but I don't want to overstate my welcome. Let's go to Joe in Ohio. Joe. Uh, greetings, Jim. How are you? I am good, Joe. How about you? I have a question about Transocean. As you remember, uh, they were drilling in the Gulf and that... Yes, and that's true. And they were involved with Bacondo, but Joe, it doesn't matter because they are not a stock to own. They are old yesterday kind of stocks. I'm talking about the oil and oil service stocks. As I have said to many, history. They're history. Joe in Michigan, Joe. Hi, Jim. Great show. Thanks for all your knowledge, experience. It's been so helpful. Hey, I recently retired. 
started methodically building an income portfolio, dividend income portfolio, based on usually pullbacks on solid stocks, so solid smart. balance sheets, and so index smart. funds. You recommended a stock recently to uh, someone in my same boat. EPR property. Yes, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire, but it's going to give you that monthly dividend check. By the way, let me add Ventos to that because Deb Cafaro completely delivered. She seems to have been able to broaden away from the areas that are really hurting. And I have to tell you, I think that that's the way that a lot of people should invest as they get a little bit more, let's say, as they get older, as they get to be me. Jimmy Chill. Let's go to Rashad in Michigan. Rashad. Jimmy Chill. You bet. What's going on, brother? I don't know, man. I'm getting ready for some mess chaos. What's going on? I gotta, I gotta say, I appreciate you giving advice to people. You know, I, I'm a physician and I have a uh, Instagram account, Ask the Doc, where I try to give free advice as well, and it can be stressful at times. Yeah. Um, with that being Thanks, said, Doc. I want to ask you about uh, Roku. I think Roku um, is a great way on cord, uh, to play cord cut. I like Trade Desk. Trade Desk going to report next week. I think they could have a very good quarter, and that. Legend is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. People are very, 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 very excited about this thing. We got some smart people making me look good. I'm a marionette. What's happening? You want to go to space and you got a lot of money to burn? Well, you got to go Virgin Galactic. I don't think you can get there with the Spirit Airlines. To infinity and beyond. They needed to look 10 years out. In a clear day, I can see forever. I saw with Barbara Streisand years ago. On a clear day. And then on the incredible, uh, let's just say, canon of gospel even, of stock thinking, Reddit. Don't even hate me. I don't even care. On a really rough day for the average, especially the large, big cap tech stocks, I want to focus on something positive, something that can work even if my worst coronavirus fears come true. So let's talk about a cybersecurity company that competes with our earlier guest, Proofpoint. Fifteen months ago, I told you to buy the stock of Symantec, right after they brought in Rick Hill, formerly of Novellus, as the new chairman of the board. I said it not because I liked the company. I didn't. I said it because Rick Hill's a winner, and he has delivered endlessly for shareholders wherever he goes. Symantec's an old-school cybersecurity software company. Think Norton Antivirus and LifeLock. I figured Hill could sell the business because that's exactly what he did at the last company he ran. Fast forward to last fall, Hill replaces the former CEO. Then he turns around and sells Symantec's enterprise business, just the enterprise business, to Broadcom for $10.7 billion in cash, but keeps control of the consumer business, which changes its name to Norton LifeLock. You've heard of LifeLock. It now trades under the symbol NLOK. Just last month, they paid a bountiful $12 special dividend, rewarding shareholders with the proceeds of this deal. Just as important, since selling the enterprise business, Norton LifeLock's been a terrific performer. Just a few weeks ago, the company posted a big earnings beat for the first quarter uh, right out of the gate as a smaller, leaner, Rick Hill-trimmed operator. So how have you done if you listen to my buy recommendation on Symantec based on Rick Hill going there? The stock was at $19.93 when I got behind it, and the new Norton LifeLock is now 20 and change. 
One share, Symantec, gives you one share of the new Norton. I know so far it doesn't sound like much, but, and this is a huge but, you also would have gotten the $12 special dividend, along with 55 cents of regular dividend payments. Add all up together, that's roughly 33 bucks. What does that give you? A total return of 66%. And that's since November 5th of 2018. Over the same period, the S&P has been good, but it only gave you a 26.5% return. Talk about outperformance because of Rick Hill. Now, I told you the old semantic had a terrific story. You had a very cheap stock where a very smart activist hedge fund starboard value. It was pushing for management to make big changes. That supported Rick Hill, who only took over that as interim CEO. Hill sold half the business and gave the proceeds directly to the shareholders, as I just mentioned. But that story, the semantic story, okay, that's now behind us, played out. So the question is, uh, do you want to stick with Norton LifeLock? You know what? I think the answer is yes. I think it's still worth owning. Either side, no, if you bought it on a recommendation, if you want to take, you know, take some off the table and go buy a cashmere sweater, I'm, I'm fine with that. Remember, all week I've been saying take something off the table. All week I've been doing it with my charitable trust. I don't like the way the market acts. It's too speculative. So you can ring some registers if you want to. Anyway, nobody ever got hurt taking a profit particularly the people who wish they had sold Virgin Galactic earlier this, earlier this week when it was really flying. Nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. I need you to remember that. So why do I like the new Norton? Okay, after they sold their enterprise division to Broadcom, the company pr- uh, predicted that the remaining business could earn $1.50 per share annually within 12 months with mid-single-digit revenue growth. Now, those are some robust numbers. You consider this stock was only 20 bucks. And, hey, the fundamentals here are fantastic. The same day Rick Hill announced the enterprise sale last August, his company reported earnings, delivering a big top and bottom line beat, bullish guidance for next quarter. On top of that, Hill rolled out a restructuring plan, talking about laying off 7% of the workforce to cut costs. And he added $1.1 billion to the buyback, bringing the repurchase authorization up to $1.6 billion. In November, they closed on the sale to Broadcom, and Symantec became Norton LifeLock. At the same time, Rick Hill stepped down as CEO, sliding back to his previous role as chairman, with his chief financial officer, Vincent Pellett, taking over the top job. Now, Pellett's a Rick Hill recruit. He's not a holdover from the ineffectual old regime, which I really didn't like. By the way, he used to work at Kramer Fave Logitech uh, until last May. Bracken Darrell told me it was a big loss when he moved over. The early November blitz ended with a solid but confusing quarter. Confusing because the results included the enterprise business that they just sold. Still, the consumer business, the part that became Norton LifeLock, saw a solid 4% increase in bookings year over year. In January, you got that bountiful $12 uh, per share special dividend. Right there. Uh, between the dividend and the boosted buyback, they're giving shareholders more than 100% of their after-tax proceeds from selling the enterprise division of Broadcom. Finally, a little over two weeks ago, the company reported its latest quarter, and now that was a blowout. The company earned 25 cents a share. Wall Street was looking for 8 cents. Sales came in higher than expected. Guidance for the next quarter was extremely bullish. Billings, better than expected. Operating margins, better than expected. Cost estimates going forward, better than expected. In response, the stock rallied terrific, 17 to 19, before attacking went another buck the next day. And it stayed at $20 and changed ever since, despite what is the clear rollover of a lot of the higher flyers. I think it's, it, it, it's got more room to run, frankly. Norton's life lock, Norton LifeLock's consumer cybersecurity business has been strong for a while, but it was consistently overshadowed by the more challenged enterprise business. They no longer have that albatross around their neck. The smaller new company can focus more on its resources on advertising its core products like LifeLock 
And those ads are already paying dividends. People like LifeLock, best of all. Norton LifeLock, the stock is still cheap. It sells for just 14 times next year's earnings estimates. And who knows? Maybe Chairman Rick Hill will find a buyer for the remaining business that he hasn't already sold. The bottom line, if you bought the old Symantec on my recommendation, of course, that Rick Hill was going to be there, you now have a terrific 66% gain in Norton LifeLock. Now, if you want to, you can ring the register on part of the portion, a small part, but leave some of this one, please, because this remains a terrific cybersecurity story with a ridiculously cheap stock. I'm betting this is the kind of thing that can work even in a market that's at the mercy of a coronavirus. Stick with me. Stay right there. You don't want to miss a CNBC special report on the coronavirus outbreak hosted by my friend Wilford Foss. Up next, I like to say there's always a bull market summer. Promise to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. I'll see you Monday. The CNBC special report begins right now. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.